listening to Soul Search Podcast with Ava and Marcella, a podcast dedicated to exploring mental health issues in relation to race, identity, and culture. All right, now, here we are, recording in progress yet again. Yes. Hi, hi, hi. 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 <laughs> we are here with episode number three, right? Yes, three within our series. Well, I guess two, because one of them was an intro, but you know. Awesome. <laughs> the first one was our intro. The second one we talked about basically trauma, the brain, the body, all of yes. that, as best as we could in the time frame that we did, because I'm sure yes. there's been um, a series of TED Talks a whole class um but Marcel and I you know kind of covered it in a brief way and with this episode about diagnosing trauma just looking at the diagnoses um mm-hmm. I love when people say it like that that's how you diagnoses. yeah it's just pretty <laughs> um which there are quite a few and I think like many of the things we talk about on the show um, especially probably in this series because like you said before, trauma is something that all of us have heard before. We've heard that word, we know kind of right. what it means but there's a lot that comes along with traumatic experiences and we kind of just want to cover how that could show up in a clinical way with diagnoses um, and yeah, it's a lot to cover but we'll we'll do the best we can, Marcella. Yes, we'll do the best we can. It is a lot. And, and I think the, I probably, I mean, as we've talked about, the one that people would be the most familiar with would be the post-traumatic stress disorder. And um, I mean, we can kind of go over some of the criteria that um, that diagnosis entails, but there's also, you know, there's a section of the DSM that talks about, you know, trauma and stress-related disorders. So not only is there post-traumatic stress, but there's adjustment disorders, which is a bit more temporary, acute stress disorder, reactive attachment disorder. So there's like a few going on. And then as me and Ava talked about off camera, there's like anxiety is related to trauma or could be, could be, you know, um, certain um, personality disorders are related to trauma or have a correlation between, okay, they're diagnosed with PTSD and they have this, you know, personality disorder. Um, So trauma kind of, it seems like it infiltrates, I mean, almost, I mean, it infiltrates almost everything. Not to say that it causes certain things, because I think our our brains and our genetics are wired for certain things as well. You know, if my parents were anxious, you know, I may have be more prone to anxiety. If my if depression runs in my family, I may be more prone to experiencing depression. However, if I have that genetic makeup and then I go through a traumatic experience, um, my chances for experiencing some type of PTSD or stress-related disorder, I think is, is, you know, probably more likely. For sure. And, and like Marcella was saying, and how we talked about off camera, to just kind of look at it, trauma does not just look one way in every person and everybody has right. a different threshold for certain things and how our brain makeup, like you said, there's certain things mm-hmm. that pre, what's the word? Predisposed. <laughs> Predisposed. Mm-hmm. I was about to say predisposition. 
predisposed, <laughs> similar. Um, yeah. We're predisposed to due to genetics, due to just personality, temperament, all the things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think too, just one can go through something traumatic. Like you could sit two people next to each other and they could go through the same experience and completely have, just have totally different things show up within them over time. Yeah, yeah. And in the DSM-5, like there's a whole section, right? Like on trauma, Mm -hmm. stress-related disorders. Do you remember how it was before? Because wasn't it a little different? Weren't there things? I remember when I took um, Mm -hmm. the diagnosis class in undergrad in psychology, Mm -hmm. class that was based around that a little bit. And we looked at the differences between because mm-hmm. they were developing the five. Okay. And they had things separate, like the axis and all of that. It was a little different. Mm-hmm. So with the revisions in DSM-5, they kind of broke things down in a way that was more, I guess, like cohesive, looking at like where things stem from, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Breaking it down into those types of categories, which I mean, like they name it trauma and stress related disorders, like they come from mm-hmm. those types mm-hmm. of things. But like you said, they show up in other ones because I can think mm-hmm. of, I remember off camera, you said um, schizophrenia or like schizophreniform mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like that. And I can remember a lot of the work that I did mm-hmm. when I was working at an IOP. Mm-hmm. A lot of my clients who were older adults, they had had they would have flashbacks or hallucinations or things like that mm-hmm. um, with their schizoaffective disorder or whatever type mm-hmm. of schizoaffective disorder um, mm-hmm. that were based around trauma from when they were kids or when mm-hmm. they were younger or even just like they were based around some trauma that they experienced in some ways with their hallucinations and mm-hmm. all of that um, delusions even yeah. Um, yeah. so it shows up everywhere like you said I think it's wild trauma you know knitted in everything when it Mm -hmm. mental health um yeah one way so yeah it's it's a good and then if they're already predisposed like if schizophrenia runs in their family and then they're exposed to various different traumatic experiences I could see how you know and you know it's hard for me to articulate, I guess, as a newer clinician, like I certainly don't want to sit here and say, okay, something is caused by something, but there's certainly a correlation, right? Like there's certainly, um, and I'm sure there's research out there, but there's so much research on trauma that it's a little overwhelming. Like it's kind of hard to know where to begin because, um, but just, I guess, in, in conversations with my colleagues and just like doing what I've learned, like in my own experience in the field is, um, some of yeah some of those things like like schizophrenia or um schizotypal or schizoaffective disorder or borderline personality disorder things like that can absolutely like be influenced on the environmental factors and genetics and so it's almost kind of like not luck of the draw, but like, okay, if I already have this in my DNA and then I have these experiences with my parents or, you know, um, maybe classmates or romantic relationships, um, is it more likely that, you know, these things are going to come out, you know, like the, the, the schizophrenia or maybe BPD, like access to kind of tendencies. Yeah, that's another one. Um, 
that one right there. That's the one I think about so much because that's kind of, I mean, not that I see that, but I mean, it's a huge percent of the population, people with personality disorders, like more than we would ever think. And um, since I work with a college student population, we just see it so much more often because they're on their own for the first time and they're figuring things out. So all of those like kind of negative coping mechanisms and um, thought patterns and attachment issues kind of start to manifest because they're getting in their first relationships. They're away from their family They're you know, and so that's why it stands out to me so much. I think <laughs> always go back to those diagnoses. A lot of the clients that I've treated with borderline personality disorder, there, mm-hmm. I, I would, I would gladly or confidently say that probably ninety percent of them had some type of traumatic experience mm-hmm. or a traumatic, mm-hmm. a, a childhood laced in trauma, like yes, happened throughout their lifetime. Some of them also have parents who have some type of personality disorder. So, like we're saying, y'all, it's a lot of. It's all interwoven into. And I, yeah, because I think, I mean, and I don't know, maybe in the conversations you've had with either clients or just other people in your life, I think sometimes people just think of trauma as something bad happened to me or something bad happened. What, like, I think of war more often than anything, like World War II, things like that. And I think that's how people think of trauma and like, okay, I have to, I have to have gone to war or I've had to have gone through these things to, get this diagnosis. Whereas when I think about it now, I think of like compounding trauma, like those little experiences that you have growing up where maybe it wasn't full blown child abuse, but maybe it was, um, you know, a parent who was in and out um, of the, and the, and the communication wasn't consistent or there was, you know, drug use around me. And like, yeah, I was, I didn't do drugs, but you know, I was witnessing it and, um, the health effects, but with that and the emotional, um, like withdrawal that can come with drug use and substance use just because you're, you know, under the influence. Does that make sense? It absolutely does. It's the thing is too, with people like, there's a whole section we kind of discuss this too when it comes to children like Marcella and I were discussing very briefly about how there are certain disorders that could show up in kids who've experienced mm-hmm. from a very young age um two of them in particular reactive attachment disorder mm-hmm. and in my reading about that one and just kind of like of course I could look at the DSM those of you that are familiar with the DSM you know like it breaks down these different criteria and stuff but whenever you kind of do your own research, it could show you, you could find things that kind of give you an idea of really what it may look like in someone. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, the symptoms and things and the criteria, of course, but I had to do a little more reading about that one because I was like, okay, are the children withdrawn after going Mm -hmm. through traumatic experiences? It's like this inability to, or they struggle to like find healthy attachment with caregivers. So as it's, as it's named reactive attachment mm-hmm. disorder, mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it did, like they lead, it leads children to develop struggles with like um, attaching and yeah. they're, they're not necessarily very social, like, but then on the other end of it, just to kind of like discuss those a little bit, um, the disinhibited social engagement, <laughs> that one, never mm-hmm. seen anyone with that in my life, but. Mm-hmm. it's like 
that one seems a lot more on the end of same type of thing where there's a struggle with developing emotional bonds and attachment but these mm-hmm. children will not withdraw like it seems like they'll go up to a stranger and talk to them and be like hey how you doing my name's carl mm-hmm. i'm this mm-hmm. you know and not even think twice about the relationship they have with this person mm-hmm. they view social interaction i guess is very just i mean a behavior it's not necessarily yeah. going on emotionally for them and that's a scary thing too when you think about it mm-hmm. as they get older it's probably really difficult for them to develop those bonds and so whenever i was looking i'm like how does treatment work for that you know mm-hmm. for children you mean when you think about it in children yeah that's another thing that's why it's so traumatic whenever you're not able Mm -hmm. to your needs are not being met that's basically what it is because children have social needs from the time that they Mm -hmm. come out into the world Mm -hmm. um those needs are not being met they're not being met with like affection and things like that Mm -hmm. and we're we learn by experience as humans so it's like you go through life and nobody's really hugging you or talking to you or asking you how you feel your own devices as a little bitty person Mm-hmm. you're going to struggle to develop attachment with people so it's mm-hmm. personality thing it leads to a behavior yes or attachment yeah those attachment issues and well and the, and so many personality disorders are rooted in attachment issues or at least from what I'm gathering and, and what I'm experiencing like you're right like when you're talking about the two differences of you know one child could be emotionally withdrawn and like to themselves and maybe it looks like shyness or resistance or guardedness or whatever. And another child is like, look at me, look at me, pay attention. How funny the two differences. But when I think of that in adults, I'm thinking, oh, boundary issues, like communication (laughs) issues, like not knowing how to like, like almost like just not picking up appropriate social skills and then their relationships suffer because of that. And then that that's traumatic. Like that, that can leave a person wounded and really not knowing how to like navigate their, their social world. Oh, for sure. And it makes me think Mm -hmm. from a cultural standpoint when it comes to children and how in, in many, I mean, I don't know, I know my culture mainly, but I know just from learning about People across the world, just everywhere, what does attachment look like? What does that like development, what needs are being met? You know, for some people, Mm -hmm. it's it's like, it's such a complex thing to break down. Mm -hmm. And I wonder if it's more based in like, you know, the, I guess, more evolved civilizations of the world where it's like, you know, we have all this access to things and it makes me think about kids who are I guess like on on tablets all day or left to watch TV in a room by themselves all day. Like what mm-hmm. that, what type of effect does that have? You know, it may not be seen as traumatic, but if you really look mm-hmm. at it, mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of television shows mm-hmm. and, and and talk to clients, talk to other mm-hmm. people personally, where it's like you know my mm-hmm. I didn't really spend time with my parents like that. Yeah, and that I don't know how to handle my. Yeah. Of that mm-hmm. right now and it's like we're mm-hmm. all, we have all these things to kind of distract us from loneliness being mm-hmm. alone, not really to be as, as children and then you get older and you still don't know what to do like it's mm-hmm. a development thing and, and yeah mama too like i said some of us um if y'all hear a vacuum excuse me <laughs> probably still the rice crispy bowl or something um but as you learn I guess like certain people go through different traumatic experiences like we said you sit two people next to each other it's going to look different and Mm -hmm. 
us, we may kind of learn how to adapt. Right. Without much guidance. I don't know what that is in the mind, in the spirit, in the personality. Don't really know. But I think that's a thing, too, with children. Mm -hmm. Like some kids go through stuff and they're just kind of like, okay, well, I got to figure things out. I'm going to be very Mm -hmm. independent. It it leads to maybe some positive things, but it could also lead to like very rigid boundaries and very rigid certain things. So it's the children's stuff was just taking me when I was reading about it. I'm like, damn. Mm -hmm. I know that's such a, you know, like it makes me think because when I, I I guess because I majority work with young adults, like I focus a lot on their childhood experiences, but because I don't work with children themselves, it, it, it feels so um, out of my reach. I think when you're talking about these things, cause I'm like, yeah, like if I have a five-year-old in front of me that I knew was maybe, I don't know, like in the foster care system or something like that, whatever, that would feel so like, Oh man, like, okay, how, how do, how can I, um, help facilitate this and, and prevent maybe long-term, you know, issues for them and all that stuff that feels so overwhelming when I think about it, just cause that's not the population I work with. Whereas when I look at, when I work with the, the people I do work, work with, most of them are very young. Um, but there's more control because they're adults. You know what I mean? Like they can implement things that children can't always implement. Like children are such a, I mean, a strong word, but victim to their environments. Right. <laughs> what else can they do? They're just working with what right. when they're left with not much. Like they're learning. And that's the thing. Like that's why there are different, uh, to me, in my own philosophy, that's why there are different ages in the world. We're not all out here born on the same day, born in the same year. Like there's so many different people to learn from. That's the circle of life as the Lion King. Mm-hmm. You know, it's <laughs> that we can learn from the people who are older than us. And I think too, like with that, developmentally looking at folks who go through traumatic things, even as teenagers or hell, even adults, you know, if the people that are older than you or the people that you're around have not gone through a traumatic experience like yours, like what you've Mm -hmm. experienced, Mm -hmm. you feel very isolated. Mm -hmm. So it's like you just going through it, trying to do your best Mm -hmm. um, with what you have. You know, a lot Mm -hmm. of clients that I've seen over the past year, I'm noticing mentally for me, I'm like, okay, folks go through stuff and they just wait a while to go to therapy. That's okay. You know, like they don't Mm -hmm. really know. And Mm -hmm. sometimes I think we think that we're past things because we've learned to function Mm -hmm. and just adapt to whatever it is and just, you know, try to find our own little ways of coping Mm -hmm. that may not be as helpful as when you're faced with a flashback or you're faced with a moment where you're struggling to just things together and make sense of it all. Um, and that's what typically leads them to therapy. You know, like sometimes I'm sure you've experienced this where you'll sit down and you'll work with a client and then like, Mm -hmm. you'll have five, six sessions under your belt where you're talking about things, talking Mm -hmm. about their life, their worldview and all that. And then something Mm -hmm. traumatic comes up that happened when they were younger or, yeah. Whoa, two weeks ago and you're like wait mm-hmm. <laughs> hold mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. let's pause there because it's sometimes certain things that could be viewed as traumatic we don't really point them out as that 
Right. And and I think people are unwilling or less likely to say most people um, are less likely to say that was trauma. You know what I mean? Like, usually I'll be the one to kind of be like, what do you think about that? Like, that sounds traumatic. Do you view that as a traumatic experience? And, you know, I I have to be mindful of how I use it because I don't want to influence them. But I also want to highlight what I think could be helpful Um, if they're going along saying, well, I shouldn't have been upset. And most people do this. I'm sure you've heard. I I shouldn't have been upset by that, you know, because they were doing their best and and it's like, well, you know, especially when it comes to parents. Well, yeah, our parents can do our best and we can still have trauma from (laughs) our experiences with them. Doesn't mean they were bad parents. Doesn't mean they were abusive. But it could just be, you know, this affected you in that way. And it's important to note it. If we continue to pretend it's something it's not, where is the healing going to come in? That's it. Where does it come in? And that's probably, what, is that going to be our next episode? I think it's our next Ooh, episode. That's a nice one. Look at like the treatment, the healing and all of right, that. Right, right. Because, yeah, it, and that's the thing, too. I notice whenever we're talking about things like this, we always end up like, that's a therapy <laughs> for you. You always end up falling into the, the, the healing portion of things. Yes, it's hard to not talk about because we don't want to stay zoom, doom and gloom, you know? Well, that's episode, that's that's down the line. Next episode, right. we'll be looking at cultural implications. Bam, bam, yeah. that'll be fun. Yeah. Generational yeah. trauma culture and all that. So yes. with the diagnosis, as we were describing yes as Marcella said is the one that like we see probably way more there are whole associations based around PTSD Mm -hmm. um there's tons of people who specialize in it but as you said like you think of war or combat Mm -hmm. or these like very I think people think of violence violence yeah um abuse Mm -hmm. um all these different things that have to do mm-hmm. with like just for lack of better words like an inhumane mm-hmm. there's a stem mm-hmm. in inhumane behaviors mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. that's not all that ptsd can come from though uh yeah I, and i'm reading the criteria right now um i don't know i don't know if we wanted to to get into that um i think it'd be helpful but it says like criterion a stressor one required and it says the person was exposed to death threatened death, actual or threatened serious injury, actual or threatened sexual violence in the following ways, direct exposure, witnessing the trauma, learning that a relative or close friend was exposed to the trauma or indirect exposure to adversive details, um, usually in the course of professional duties. So like first responders, doctors, maybe even counselors, things like that. Mm-hmm. So that's the criteria A, criterion A. So it's, so it goes kind of like what we were talking about, like violence. Whereas like when I think of it, I think of, I, I think of it as more as um, um, less, <laughs> less <laughs> like not quite meeting that level, but more often, you know what I mean? Like I think of like little instances over time, over and over and over and over again, that would come. And maybe that's complex PTSD. We could probably look into that, but you know, I think it is, but when I last mm-hmm. time I looked that up, mm-hmm. um, complex it it has to do right more with like the frequency, time span, and all that. Yeah, right. Because when we look at acute stress disorder, mm-hmm. um, acute stress disorder is based around when someone 
like you go through a traumatic event, something that's like super intense, unpleasant, mm-hmm. scary, all of that. And mm-hmm. you have a reaction that lasts less than a month. Okay. But then it turns into like folks may come in and something happened. Let's say there's some, some type of, I don't know. Um, I'm trying to think of something in particular. Like say someone goes through a natural disaster and their home is right. One person in the household may Mm -hmm. very well develop acute stress disorder where it lasts a month and they may, you know, I don't know. It doesn't like the symptoms don't last as long. Right. Whereas another person in the house may instead develop PTSD from it because right. 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 In particular, it it doesn't, it could be the same event and one Mm -hmm. person could develop acute and one could develop PTSD from it um, right so the acute stress disorder is like extremely intense for under a month so it could be like three weeks of time where a person is having certain symptoms that arise whereas with PTSD is something that lasts a lot longer and then with complex mm-hmm. PTSD I think it's like okay you went through all these traumatic things throughout your lifetime that are based around um you're right. You're right. I'm looking at it now. It says like PTSD is caused by a single traumatic event, whereas CPTSD, complex PTSD, is caused by long lasting trauma that, that continues or repeats for months or even years. That's what I see more than anything. Same, same, same. Sexual trauma. Like, yes. All these things that happen with. I think that's why I was having such a hard time articulating because, like, when I, 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 when I think of trauma, I think of CPTSD. Okay. So for our listeners, that's the difference. <laughs> and I didn't know, like it literally took certain things coming up in my work here recently mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. for the past two years mm-hmm. or so where I'm like, I had to do some looking things up because I did a CD. Mm-hmm. I think I had mentioned that. Mm-hmm. That's what kind of made me think of us doing this for our series mm-hmm. because trauma is something as a therapist as a counselor social worker psychologist all of that I firmly believe that trauma is something you got to continue to educate yourself on till the day that you retire and maybe even after that like right (laughs) is going to show up all the time Mm -hmm. being knowledgeable about it and understanding like how complex it is how different it looks the different colors that come up when it comes to different people Mm -hmm. because PTSD I agree with you that's one that I was like, but, but like PTSD, and I think- the VA, you know, like, right. no, it's, it's actually the complex PTSD is folks that are, you know, getting treatment for childhood trauma. Exactly. Exactly. And it's not recognized in the DSM five yet. So that's why I was like struggling because I'm like, okay, I'm looking at the DSM, all this stuff. And when I think again, when I think of trauma, this is, that's who I work with. We're looking at like, and maybe that's just my approach to that. It might be a little bit me as well, but like, I, like, I want to know what happened in childhood, what happened with your relationships with your parents. Whereas for many people, like you said, car accident, that's a single event. One person may get PTSD from it. Another person may be like, I'm fine. That sucked, but I'm fine. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's it's such a different experience for everyone. That's like most things. Trauma, though, I mean, I don't know. I think ooh, the complex PTSD piece. I, Marcel, I did not know. But now that you say that, I don't see that anywhere in my notes about the DSM. So it isn't in the Right, DSM. no, it's not. It says, um, it's... It's not in the, um, 
let's see, it, the concept is longstanding, but it's not in the DSM-5, and um, so it's not officially recognized. I wouldn't be surprised if one day it is, just because it's such a point of discussion now, you know? It is, and I think there's, there's a lot of people in the world of all different backgrounds that struggle with complex PTSD. Mm-hmm. don't even know mm-hmm. that they're, and you know, I'm thinking too, now that we're sitting here talking about it, I'm thinking about folks that may, because it is something that has happened over the course of the mm-hmm. lifespan or for a long period of time, mm-hmm. it may be seen as, I guess, normalized or mm-hmm. like, they're just kind of like, well, mm-hmm. maybe we don't need to put a name on it because it's not. I think they lump it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I feel like that may be what it is, where folks don't necessarily think about it um, as like, okay, I have some form of PTSD because from the time I was eight to 16, eight to 20, you know, mm-hmm. I went through this, that, and the third in the household, or I had this type of situation happen when I was at school, mm-hmm. bullying based stuff, or like, you know, just abuse or anything like that. Mm-hmm. When I think of complex PTSD versus PTSD, and a lot of the, there's overlap, right? Because I'm looking also too at the um, criterion B, like the the symptoms, um, unwanted unwanted or upset, upsetting memories, nightmares, flashbacks, emotional distress, um, physical reactivity, so like somatic symptoms, um, avoidance of uh, this is criterion C, avoidance of trauma related thoughts or feelings. Um, avoidance of trauma-related external reminders, all those things. There's like a lot of overlap. Um, But what I think about with CPTSD is how it shaped your your belief about the world around you and like your, your personality and your attachment to others. Whereas if you're a fully formed adult with a relatively healthy upbringing, healthy attachment to your parents, good relationships, um, maybe no long-term, um, you know, financial stress, things like that. And then you have a traumatic experience such as um, a natural disaster, or maybe you're a medic and you witness a really, while that can maybe affect your relationships with others, was that happening before the event? You know what I mean? Does that make sense? So I think of it as like, okay, yes, this traumatic instance could maybe cause one to isolate, could cause one to maybe have anger um, or, you know, or reactive outburst. And like, yes, that's going to affect your relationships with others. But does that affect your personality and like who you are as a person? Does that make sense? No, I totally get what you mean, because the folks have a more complex PTSD experience that I've Mm -hmm. seen in my lifetime which my counselor lifetime has been five years to, to, hey, beep, beep. Um, the hypervigilance, the like mm-hmm. mistrust, mm-hmm. like all of that. Or self-sabotage, like, like struggling in relationships. And most of them, act like a lot of the folks that I've seen and in my own research, it's like this acting out in some way. Yeah, yeah. Like, some way, shape, or I've seen a lot of that where it's like either folks are kind of going back to the childhood stuff, either mm-hmm. they're very much just out here, mm-hmm. out here, out here, out here, just everywhere, mm-hmm. doing all the mm-hmm. things, putting themselves in situations that could lead to distress. And they don't, they, they may not think twice about it. Right, right. And you got the folks that are in their house because they're, they're shaken. Right, right. I don't even right. with people. I don't really have many friendships. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I may step in the way of some of my friendships. I may have certain behaviors that make it difficult for me to develop healthy relationships with people. My boundaries give me a struggle. It's all these different things that show up. So I think a lot of folks that have complex PTSD or struggle with that, there's some type of personality thing going on, possibly. That I, I would think so, or at least some type of attachment disorder, like an attachment disorder, something like that. Because again, while if someone experiences something in adulthood, you know, say they're in their thirties and whatever, yes, their relationships can change. Like I'm looking again at the criterion. Um, it's talking about um, negative alterations in cognitions and mood. So inability to recall key features of the trauma, negative thoughts, exaggerated self-blame, negative affect, feeling isolated, all the things we're talking about. Right. Um, but, but I could see too, how the people in their lives may be like, oh, well, they've changed since that happened. Like something's, you know, whereas with the complex PTSD or the ongoing compounding trauma, a, a lot of clients that I perceive to have had that will be like, I don't know why I'm this way. It's just always been this way. And they're confused. Mm-hmm. Whereas maybe with someone who, again, overall has maybe not had that compounding trauma, but had a, you know, very large isolating event mm-hmm. would can point to that and say, it was this, it was this, that that's when everything changed, you know? Uh-huh. Yep. So it's, it's, it, the, the mechanisms may be the same, like, the struggling with relate, I, I guess I'm, and I'm relationship focused. So that's always where I'm going to go. But like, yeah, the struggling with relationships or, or my somatic experience is out of whack. I'm nervous. I'm hypervigilant. That's one that I see almost mm-hmm. every time. Sleep disturbance mm-hmm. in some way. There may be some eating yep. stuff going on. Yep. yep. It affects, okay. If you Panic attacks. Mm-hmm. Point, it mm-hmm. affects every entity of the person. Everything that right. Every type of system that's going on, right. something's up. Your thinking, your nervous system, all of it is affected in some way. Typically, right. when someone is dealing with PTSD or complex. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, I think with mm-hmm. complex, people get, it's like, like I said, I don't know if that's the right word to use. Help me out, Jerry, mm-hmm. word people. Mm-hmm. It's normalized. Like they adapt. It's just like, this. yes, yes. This is life. Mm-hmm. I've been like this since I was 15. I started having mm-hmm. struggles with sleep. I don't sleep at night. Mm-hmm. Um, I may sleep four hours a night mm-hmm. or I have to do something to help me to sleep. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of welcome Oliver to the soul search podcast <laughs> because yeah, hopefully he'll, he'll be knowledgeable about these things one day where he can, he will, will. I'm probably going to send him out talking about things like this. Um, <laughs> but that's what I was thinking. Like, it's like this, like it becomes not a part of who they, I mean, a part of who they, they are or who they believe themselves to be. Like, this is just who I am. This is how I do things. I know it might right. be off. It may not be the best thing for me to do. This isn't the best, most healthy behavior. Cause I'll ask mm-hmm. clients. That's another thing. Those of you that are looking toward being a therapist, something that I've learned mm-hmm. to do just Mm-hmm. I think we learned about it in school, but I've been doing it a lot here lately when clients tell me about things that they deal with. If I'm asking them certain things in the intake where I'm like, okay, so mm-hmm. tell me about your, your habits, your sleep, your, mm-hmm. your eating, mm-hmm. like, what does all of that look like? Well, you know, I eat once a day or, um, I sleep, I go to sleep at like 2am and I wake up at six for work type of thing. Yeah. We're grown. But I'll ask them and be like, is that something that you're okay with? Or is that something that you mm-hmm. can do? Mm-hmm. Cause I can't just say like, 
I'm a I'm a seven to eight hour sleep type of person. I like to sleep. Right. I'm like getting my catching my Z. Right. Very much like this is what it's been since I was like twelve, and I don't really care to change it. Even mm -hmm. though I know, so I like try to add in a little bit of the like educational pieces of it where they're like, they'll bring up, you know, my energy's just been so low. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about your sleep habits that you told yes. me. Tell me about maybe if there's something that's getting in the way of you sleeping. Like, is mm -hmm. it your phone? Is it the fact that you have nightmares? And a lot of my clients have told me who I think have the complex PTSD experience, they have night terrors or obsessive thoughts before they go to bed racing thoughts things like that where anxiety comes in anxiety affects their ability to really like take care of themselves essentially because when you're right. healing from trauma mm -hmm. self-care is, mm -hmm. is 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 key mm -hmm. learning those habits that are going to help you to heal because i think if you get all that like maintenance down when it comes right. to health i mean like you said we kind of talking from our own treatment standpoint i'm looking mm -hmm. at it holistically like what are you doing mm -hmm. for yourself Right. Some trauma with a bunch of dysfunctional behavior mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. unhealthy behaviors, um, a lot of drinking, things like that. Yes. When you're, you're smoking weed every two minutes. <laughs> right. Exactly. Well, and that just shows the avoidance too of like how that can affect like how either one traumatic experience or multiple traumatic experiences using alcohol and drug or, um, developing some type of dissociate dissociativeness like whether like like maladaptive daydreaming um things like that um that's just a means for coping but it's not necessarily the healthiest and some things like our brain is just doing to protect those like the maladaptive daydreaming becoming more dissociative or, or derealized like sometimes we feel like we can't really control that but then some of that is induced by drugs and alcohol other substances you know yeah, it's so many things that I think show up with the complex PTSD portion and it's just really any PTSD, but like, it's such a different thing. And I really do hope that there's more development with that when it comes to diagnosing folks and like looking at treatment, like now I kind of want to take a look at specific things that folks are using. Yeah. Folks with complex PTSD related things. I know. Well, I know. And, and I guess everyone does it differently. Like, you know, but for me, it's like, yeah, like looking at it holistically, what's their inner experience like, like, especially if they're dissociative or hypervigilant, experiencing panic attacks, things like that. Um, I want to take care of that first or in their environment, like if they're still in an environment that's abusive or unhealthy or whatever, then okay, how can we how can how can they get out of that environment or adjust it? And then let's go into like what happened in the past. Let's do a timeline now that you know how to regulate your body and not, you know, you can manage the dissociativeness or you can manage the panic attacks and the hyper vigilance. Um, once they're able to manage that, then we can go in and look at, okay, what has happened to lead you here? And then how can we like heal some of these past experiences and, you know, look at your relationships and developing healthy relationships so that this doesn't happen in the future mm -hmm. no for real and it's I'm, yeah. I'm looking now i'm just this done turned into the complex ptsd portion of the show because looking at the different symptoms that are that show up for folks that experience complex ptsd you mentioned the derealization and um depersonalization disconnecting mm -hmm. from self and mm -hmm. the world around you is like a, a it's a defense type thing it's like a way yeah. 
pop in and they're like, hey, I'm helping you right now. Um, some people even forget their trauma. That's another thing that I didn't want to forget to bring up because I think that's common yeah. where folks are like, I don't even, I don't even know if this is real because yeah. I had a flashback or I had a nightmare and I, it kind of made me think like, did this happen when I was this age or did this? Right, happen? exactly. Really unique thing that our mind does that try like it's trying to protect us essentially. It's trying to protect us, yeah. And it's beautiful because look yeah. at that, that really complex yeah. matter up there. Um, but another thing it, it brings up about complex PTSD when it comes to the symptoms and things like, of course, difficulty controlling your emotions. One, mm-hmm. the anger, sadness, depression, even suicidal mm-hmm. thoughts comes up. Mm-hmm. They come up for folks that deal with PTSD mm-hmm. often possibly um and then like viewing yourself in a negative way so like negative self-view can come up too because it's mm-hmm. like okay never really mm-hmm. see myself the way that I perceive these like healthy people or these people who are doing things because I've had a client say that before where I was like wait a minute healthy people <laughs> people that don't have things that and it's like yeah essentially mm-hmm. you look at people who like when I used to work in substance abuse I know you probably remember this too when we worked together when you were an intern mm-hmm. it's like we were viewed I remember many clients saying, Miss Avi, you didn't, you didn't, you don't drink. You don't have things that you do. You remember them saying stuff like that? Yeah, yeah. Have a conversation about how these ex- experiences, yes, your life has taken a different route than mine in some instances. Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. All of us have our struggles, but I think it's because folks who go through severe trauma or like that complex longstanding mm-hmm. They're like, okay, people who ain't never been through that, they don't have things that they right. process like that. You know, they're sitting right. there counselors. They don't have nothing to mm-hmm. be complaining about, you know, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And I get it to an extent because it's like they're mm-hmm. viewing their life. They're like, okay, all I've been through is this, that, this, that, this. Mm-hmm. Horrible. What What's my worst look like mm-hmm. for this to happen mm-hmm. to me? Um, mm-hmm. Difficulty with relationships, as we mentioned, that's another one. Mm-hmm. The trust the negative self you can get in the way, the self-sabotage, as we mentioned. Yeah. And then um, the detachment, as we mentioned, and then a loss. Mm-hmm. I love this piece, loss of a system of meanings. Interesting. Um, this can include losing one's core beliefs, values, religious faith, or hope in the world and other people. Kind mm-hmm. of back to the one about the negative self view. It's like, okay, if this could happen, and I've heard people say that before, even when I wasn't even a therapist, when I was a kid, I remember people going through something like, why is this happening to me? I asked myself, why does this happen to me? What's wrong with mm-hmm. the world? I hate everything. <laughs> like it's this whole, mm-hmm. if this could happen, mm-hmm. what meaning can I put to this, but that everything is just terrible. Right. You know, so that's a thing that's maladaptive, but it's, it's actually, I mean, it makes sense. Cause you're trying to make, you're trying to make sense of it all. So even though our minds are doing these really helpful things in some instances, mm-hmm to kind of help it to be not so severe for us or not as mm-hmm. I guess it's not manifesting in such an intense way all the time. Right. Realization, realization. there's also this piece that's like well I'm trying to make meaning of all of this when I'm not going through those motions of trying to detach myself from what's happening it's a lot yeah I know because I'm looking at I'm going back to the the DSM criteria for for PTSD and it's like it all it all overlaps so much but I thought what was interesting is it says 
um, duration, the symptoms need to last for more than a month. It says functional significance. So symptoms create distress or functional impairment socially, occupationally. And then of course you need to determine that these um, symptoms aren't caused by substance use or another illness. And then it has two specifications. It has a dissociative specification. So like you can, so um, like determining does depersonalization or derealization um, also pair with the PTSD. So it's so much overlap. The difference is the duration. And I just think that's so obviously, I mean, they're rooted in the same thing. It's just, I view them so differently. I view these two things so differently. And I think if a person is interested in, I don't know, I guess if a person seeks out therapy and feels as though they're not getting the answers they need, Mm -hmm. talking with your therapist about determining a diagnosis, sitting with your counselor and looking at the DSM. Now that can be your, I wouldn't be surprised if your therapist is like, Hey, look, if we do, if we do determine that there's a diagnosis, you lean more towards, you know, how might that be for you? What are, because sometimes getting a diagnosis can be really overwhelming. For some people, it can be really freeing and really like, thank you. I finally have an answer. I know what's going on, you know, and, and I guess I think as a client advocating for yourself and saying, Hey, what's actually going on? What do you think is going on with me? You know, is the work we're doing leading me towards healing towards, you know, me feeling how I want to feel so I can navigate the world in the way I want to navigate, like having those conversations with your therapist. And hopefully those conversations are are, like your therapist is bringing that up too, you know, but I think also preparing yourself to where if you are seeking out a formal diagnosis, um, especially if you find yourself maybe meeting some of these PTSD traumatic um, criteria, knowing that some of these, some of these diagnoses are stigmatized, some of them um, people speak negatively about, and just, I think, preparing yourself for that and having that conversation with your therapist. Because I'm just thinking if somebody has the CPTSD-like symptoms, and then maybe it's determined like, hey, you do have um, a personality disorder. This is what it looks like it's falling into. Let's look at the book together. Let's talk about this. Or if you're with a psychiatrist, they they may just say, hey, this is what we think is going on. As a therapist, we're more, it's more... um, we don't lean so much on the diagnosis, I guess, as other, other um, fields do. Um, But I think just talking about that, because some of these, some of these um, diagnoses, unfortunately, have a stigma, it's less so now, but it is, it is something that um, I hear people talk badly about. And it's just, you want to be prepared, and you want to talk to your therapist about that, so they can support you in the way that you need to be supported. Right. And another thing too, like some of the time for me, I know how I approach things often here, here nowadays, more so I've been, because we don't have, like when you're working at a place where there isn't a psychologist or a psychiatrist around, Mm -hmm. if you have a client come in and they're like, Hey, I think I have borderline personality disorder. I've been dealing Mm -hmm. with PTSD. Like something that I lean on is looking at the characteristics and treating those. So like the different Mm -hmm symptoms and treating those and not necessarily just basing it all around because I'll tell a client like I don't have the training to just flat out tell you or the the story right. be like hey you you're dealing with board, uh, borderline personality disorder you're dealing with bipolar disorder 
Um, right. Look like that. And if you want a formal diagnosis, it'd be important to talk to someone who's able to do that. And I have a little list of folks where I'm like, if you're, mm -hmm. person, if you're open to, you know, investing in that, if, if, mm -hmm. if you feel it's necessary, you know, that kind of thing, because a lot of folks, it can be difficult for them. Mm -hmm. Like you said, I've seen folks be like, oh my goodness, like, that's what it's been all this time. I feel yes, so yes. Now I can get a workbook. Now I could work with you on it. Can we focus? Yeah. On it? But then other people are maybe kind of like shocked by it. Shocked. Yeah. It's mm -hmm. a little difficult to process where they're like, wait a minute. Mm -hmm. So I deal with this. And mm -hmm. it just, it was so much for me to, it's a, that's such a difficult thing for me to take on. Like that kind of thing. Um, it can look different those two ways. Um and it may be a process of like, you know, I think it is where you're, if you have someone that is shocked by it or it's a lot for them to take in, mm -hmm. you're working on that and talking about okay, yeah. your perception of self. How does this change? Like, where, where is this? Tell me about the different pieces of this and how you right. feel it affect your life. Um, because it can, it makes total sense to me why folks get like that, where it's like, mm -hmm. okay, well, damn, I thought I didn't have, I thought this mm -hmm. was my anxiety. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This, like. And that's the thing, it, I think it is to the stigmas that we hear about. Well, and I think for us, at least in our licensure, I don't know how psychologists and psychiatrists, um, maybe even like social workers, things that I don't know exactly how they approach it, but I know how we were taught, at least it's very collaborative. Like, I'm not going to just say, well, this is what you got. Go. I mean, maybe if it's anxiety and, and things, you know, I'll say, well, it sounds like you have some anxious symptoms. Let's talk about that. You know, whatever. Um, if it's something that, that like as um, stigmatized as a personality disorder or even, you know, CPTSD, I'm not, I'm usually not sitting there saying you have CPTSD. I'm saying, wow, you've had a lot of traumatic experiences over your life. Do you view them as traumatic? I'm hearing this and I'm viewing them that way. Like, what do you think? And some of them may say, well, no, I never really thought about it that way. And I'll say, oh, okay, well, you know, tell me, tell me what it's like for you to hear me call them traumatic. Like, what's that like for you? And it's really much more collaborative, but there are those instances where some people really want answers. And so that's like when I'll be like, okay, what do you think's going on? Let's look at the DSM let's explore what you're thinking. And like you said, Ava, if you want something more formalized, let's get you set up with a psychologist and like, let's do a formal diagnosis. If you feel like that's helpful, if you don't feel like you need that, we can just work from this perspective and like, let's explore, you know, if you, there's certain, if you're experiencing these things, let's go from there. Mm -hmm. um, but I really encourage everyone just to have those. If you, if you trust your therapist, which you should trust your therapist, if you don't, that's a whole nother issue. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe get a different one, maybe get a second opinion, but just having those conversations and, um, you know, some of these diagnoses, um, gosh, when you read online or go into Reddit forums and all this, it's like a dark place and you really just, th this is something you need support and like safety and whether it's something as quote unquote simple as an adjustment issue or anxiety, or if it's something like, you know, that's a bit more, I guess, serious I hate to say it that way but serious with with maybe CPTSD or something else that needs like extensive treatment because a lot of these exactly are, you know like an adjustment disorder treatment wise you know you can work with somebody with adjustment disorder for maybe like six months yeah exactly and where a CPTSD could be or PTSD could be years 
years of work. And, and that's okay. And that's totally okay. But um, yeah, I think just, just being with some, being with a provider who you trust or, or having a team that you trust, it doesn't have to just be one therapist. It could be your, your, your therapist, your psychiatrist, your primary care physician, and you know, whoever else, maybe you have a, um, maybe you have a life coach, or maybe you have a, a person who you do yoga with, or, you know, acupuncture or whatever, you know, having a good team around you. And what feels comfortable for you? Not even comfortable, like, yeah, comfortable. Cause it is going to be, it's going to be some discomfort when you're healing from things like this, when you're trying to really work through these types of things, there's going to be discomfort, but it should always be cathartic and mm-hmm. feel like a release in some way of the tension within your body. Because mm-hmm. as we've talked about, read the body keeps the score. If you have not, mm-hmm. it's all up in there. It's everywhere. Mm-hmm. You, whenever you're dealing with something traumatic, and that's, that's typically how we, I mean, everything comes into us, you know, like we're dealing with all these things. We're taking things in every day. And sometimes we don't even notice how they're affecting our psyche, how they're affecting to be with us inside our being. So that's something that is necessary to consider. Another thing too, like when we were looking at the different um, other disorders, I guess, like adjustment, Mm -hmm. that's something that a lot of, um counselors use I know I do like I view that's the diagnosis you use for all the things mm-hmm. it's like mm-hmm. you have something that has occurred let's process it there may be some anxiety within it maybe mixed maybe some depression um that kind of thing the dissociative disorders um what's the other ones Marcella what do we say for relating to um relating to trauma like the other ones that aren't necessarily under the trauma and stress like we talked about of course personality disorders and then there was like i mean they put they even mentioned bipolar depressive disorders anxiety disorders ocd um somatic symptom disorders and neurodevelopmental Mm -hmm. so it's it's like we said just kind of Mm -hmm. forcing that point up in there the trauma is interlaced in all of it. it, it yes. And and, at that, and looking at your, well, and I guess we'll talk about this next time, but like the intergenerational trauma, mm-hmm. um, family trauma, um, you know, not, not discounting that. Does that give us all the answers? Um, maybe not, you know, but I always tell my clients, it's something to notice. Like I like to, I sometimes like to ask like, okay, how did your parents meet? What were your parents upbringings like because if if I know that and I know their mom was you know abused by her parents and now she has angry outbursts and my client has a really difficult then that gives me some context it lets me know how this has played a role over generations um does it tell me oh yeah my client's dealing with this because mom like not necessarily but it just lets it lets us have something to be like huh Let's just like notice that and let's think about how this may have affected you. Mm-hmm. No, for, for sure. It always like most of the time when I have clients who are talking about, like we said, being relationship based and mm-hmm. like kind of sy- systems based, like family mm-hmm. systems and things like that. Mm-hmm. All of that has a cause and it affects, yeah. it affects mm-hmm. the person and, and how they yeah. view the world. And so whenever you like some of the clients I have, who follow in the footsteps of maybe their parents' behaviors, like some of them Mm -hmm. will straight up tell you in in the work that I've done, 
even with mm-hmm. friends that I have, like us counselor people, us mental mm-hmm. health professionals, we're always mm-hmm. talking about the breakdown of things and how it affects yeah. this, this affects this and all of that. Yeah. Um, shout out to my friend, Amber LeBlanc. She graduated from the program uh, with Marcella and I, but she graduated a year before us. And she and I talked, she's in school studying psychology. I think I've talked about her on the show mm-hmm. before. She's in Virginia. Um, that's my home girl. We met at Southeastern. <laughs> And we worked in the same, we had the same GA type thing. Um, and we would literally, I'm like, we're in school to be counselors. And every chance I get, I'm walking down to this big old room where you get supplies for the students in the teaching and education department. And we're literally just running it about family systems and trauma and, yeah. and all these things. And she and I have talked about this over the years too, where it comes from like intergenerational stuff, like it always comes up in therapy. Mm-hmm. It's going to come up in some way, shape, or form. If someone is dealing with an uh, intimate partner-based issue where they're like, okay, me, I'm having trouble trusting mm-hmm. my my husband or my boyfriend or my girlfriend, um, me and my partner are having arguments more often and I don't even know why. And then you start talking about, well, let's, let's talk about your upbringing let's talk about what you saw growing up what was normalized to you what's something that you're you know you saw let's talk about his you know there's gonna be something because we learn by experience and what we view and so if you grew up in a household where your parents are bickering and that's normal for them and then you get into a relationship with a with a partner who did not have that experience and it was very much like not much bickering at all Mm -hmm. it's gonna be a shock to their little system so it's like (laughs) trying to be mindful of how our experiences shape us and what needs mm-hmm. to be what needs to be changed mm-hmm. what's unhealthy behavior and not something that we should just be like that's just the way it is um because there's a lot of that with or and or just like this is who i am uh like you talked about earlier that negative self-view of like i i just i suck at relationships and i can't do, and it's like well no let's go you most things are Will things ever be perfect? Maybe, maybe not, you know, but I mean, I think as a therapist, we have to believe that our clients coming in can have change in their life and can improve. And I mean, my hope is that people believe that for themselves. I know it's really, really difficult. It's so hard to believe that, especially if you feel like things are so, so, so bad or have been bad for a long time. Um, But believing that you can adjust these behaviors and not just kind of letting it stay the same if you're unhappy with it you know that's it something that I've I've been really trying to be mindful of in my journey as a counselor is keeping the culture of change alive in sessions like I'm not gonna I don't want to just talk about you know what how things are right now Mm -hmm. let's kind of look at what you want things to look like that's right. always going to be the case. And for right. some folks, when it comes to the trauma that they've experienced, they, they see it as, okay, maybe when they were 15 and they were going through something traumatic at home or within whatever system that they were involved in, um, and they wanted change so desperately at that time mm-hmm. and they didn't see it, it may be very discouraging and difficult for them to view a change happening as something positive for them as they get older. So it's like right. you had all these hopes before and you lose that you kind of have this hopelessness happening Mm -hmm. it can be kind of hard to work with that but if I think it helps to instill 
all the time like you know okay let's talk about when you when you start this this mm-hmm. process and how you're gonna feel mm-hmm. and maybe what type of let's the, the magic question the the miracle question mm-hmm. all of that like looking at mm-hmm. just having like instilling some hope hopeful mm-hmm. in them and yes because it can be very discouraging if you wanted something to change for so long and maybe you tried things mm-hmm. so long ago you're like what's the point in trying again mm-hmm. there's that negative self-image thing again but right. the world around you like we said mm-hmm. the things peace where it's like damn what do what do, what can i do um mm-hmm. so it's it's such a there's a lot of trauma specialists and i get why people are interested in working mm-hmm. with trauma because it appears in so many different ways i think as a therapist you can't avoid it avoid it you cannot avoid it but- And I think as a client, just doing your research, if you're looking for a therapist, like asking them like what training or not even necessarily what trainings, but like, hey, what are your credentials? Like, especially if you feel like you might be more on the chronic severe end of things and really need someone who's going to be in that with you. Um, You know, some therapists just don't have the training and that's okay. doesn't mean they're a bad therapist. They just might not be the right one for you. and so I think looking into that and, and having a really strong relationship with your therapist, one that feels secure, and that may take time too. Um, but so if you, again, this episode's kind of about diagnosis. If you're looking for a diagnosis, you have that support. You have that person who you can really process this with. So not only are you processing your experiences, how can your life be different? How can you heal some of these wounds? But also, wow, I have this new information. What do I do with this? Having someone be able to be with you through that. Necessary. The supportive um, culture within it, having... Mm -hmm. Like feeling seen is a big part of therapy. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you're not being disregarded in, in what you may see because most therapists, I mean, we learn that from the beginning. Mm-hmm. It's like the relationship is most important, the support that you give them, but also the accountability and the the understanding of their their experiences and really just trying to wrap your mind around that person's worldview and understanding mm-hmm. that that's the first step. And then like hopefully that provides some comfort for you guys whenever you're thinking about going to therapy or you're in therapy, your counselor is probably really trying to just grasp what it is that your life is like in, in an mm-hmm. empathetic way so that we can help you because it can be hard. Like I've had clients say too, you know, like, I don't really want to talk about this stuff. Right. Well, I was nervous about starting therapy because I knew I was going to have to talk about this traumatic stuff. And it's, it, it, mm-hmm. it's like, I relive it, those kinds of things, but we are trained. Mm-hmm to help you through those moments um, whenever it can be difficult in, in that space. And there's different ways to help. There are different things and, and techniques and things to help with that, you know, like mm-hmm. being grounded, like getting grounded in the moment, like breathing, relaxation, mm-hmm. based exercises and things like that to help keep you present and know that you're not alone in the process. That's the thing. That's why therapy don't just, yeah, we don't all learn how to do therapy on ourselves. Like that's, right, right. Have, that's why we have this passion for this area of, of life because mm-hmm. it's, it's important. Like it's, it's, it's so important. I can't say, I mean, I love it. It's necessary, especially for folks who have dealt with some form of trauma. Like it's, it's not something we are, we learn from on our own a lot of the time. 
Trust them in your therapist to help you go in the right direction. Yeah. That's important. So, yeah. Yes. But, yeah, we, we covered some things, Marcel. I feel pretty good. Covered some things. And I think it's, again, like we said earlier, there's so much. And trauma infiltrates so many areas. And it manifests in, in so many ways that it's hard to really, like, narrow down. Oh, sorry if y'all hear, sorry if y'all hear my dogs. Hold on. I'm going to mute myself. <laughs> it's all good. No. Oh, we got dogs and kids. Dogs and kids. Dogs and kids. Let me move. Um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah. It infiltrates so many areas. So I think it's just important to not try to diagnose yourself to hopefully maybe this will help somebody think like maybe just think about what they're dealing with a little bit differently um, and just seek up professional help if you need. Absolutely. Find a therapist. Um, talk to, if you have a therapist friend, I tell folks, mm -hmm. if you have a therapist friend, maybe they can direct you in the right space, you know, of who to find to help you. Um, yeah. Cause a lot of us, we know what, what, if anything, if you don't know how to treat something or if you're not, it's not your expertise, you know, like what types of things to look for um, mm -hmm. in the mental health field when it comes to folks looking for treatment for certain disorders or things of that nature or certain issues. But mm -hmm. anywho, this was fun. I like this. So next yeah. time cover the intergenerational cultural implications and things, because, you know, that's like the basis of what Soul Search is. Yes. Like, so oh, I'm excited for that too like I'm kind of trying to pace myself with it because mm -hmm. I'm like oh it's just so many things so many things like most of the things we talk about mm -hmm. so, well and it all is like woven it so is. it's hard to like not talk about one area and not go into the other area but I'm excited for that me too I feel like we're gonna we're gonna have a really good episode in that one too um and then finish our series in the next few um few episodes it's exciting I like this series format it's, it's fun it's yeah fun. Um, so let's move on to our next segment. Yes. Locating your soul, the yes. glittery or wind chime thingy. So do you want to start it? Would you like me to start? Do you remember how we did it last time? I think I went first. I could be wrong though. I think you may have my soul. I don't remember though, but you know yours. What's yours? You go first. <laughs> So it's really silly, but over the past few days, I've been on TikTok and I found myself on the University of Alabama, their sorority rush TikTok. And it's all the girls like showing their outfits, like my dress is from, you know, whatever. My shoes are from DSW. My jewelry is from whatever. <laughs> like they just go through their outfits and we're like all on this journey of like finding out where they're going to go. <laughs> And um, I love it because I was in a sorority and it was really fun. I had a great experience when I was in it. I'm still involved. Um, and so it's just fun to see these young girls, like hopefully starting this new part of their life. That's going to be really enjoyable. But what also is interesting is so many people are weighing in on the process, like who either were in sororities or went to Alabama or who have no idea what's going on. And they're like, what is what's happening? Like, I have questions, answer the questions. So it's really cute. 
What was that? That would be me. I would be like, what's going on? Why are they because yeah. why are they explaining their outfits? Is it like just cute? It's just like this is an outfit, like today's day two of philanthropy, where we talk about philanthropy, and they just go through their outfits just being cute. Um, so and, and I think it was just something so they can show off what they're wearing, but then it's like it's just infiltrated TikTok. Mm-hmm. And with while I'm enjoying it, what's also interesting is hearing the commentary of people who were in sororities at this university. Um, I mean, I guess they there is a big, it, it, there's a lot of conversation surrounding um, like, are is Greek life healthy? Is it toxic? Um, is there racism that's still going on? Which there, I mean, systemically, I'm sure there is. It's hard to eradicate over the course of just a few years, you know? Um, and they just talk, and the, and the environment. So it's interesting hearing the different perspectives. Like I was in a sorority in this, in a tiny school where there's not like a lot of stake, you know what I mean? Like it, it was, it was very much like fun and positive and like friendly overall. Um, whereas in these bigger systems, it's very political and like money. So it's like weird. It's like, there's these cute girls who just want to have fun, you know, and then there's this other side of like all this social commentary. So I've just been enjoying that and taking it all in. And I just like to hear the different perspectives. Um, and ultimately I just, I'm like, Oh, I can't wait to find out what houses they get in. Like, that'll be fun. So that's where I've been. Well, it's probably fun because, like you said, you went through that kind of yeah. Thing. It yeah. On something like TikTok is probably very unique. Mm-hmm. Isn't TikTok a certain amount of time for the videos and all of the edits and things? Yes. And all the words and the funny little that lady voice that people. I've still. How do people do that? Where the lady talks for them. I have no idea how they do it. I guess it's a filter. I have no idea though. She like, and then they make her say funny things like. I was feeling clean AF in my outfit. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, why is she like this series cousin? Uh-huh, like, it is. Series cousin. Um, that's fun though. I'm gonna have to check it out. It's interesting. It's and then people who were in Divine Nine sorority and fraternities are weighing in too, and the difference. And I'm like, I feel like I can't, I don't even have input because I did not go to a university like that. You know what I mean? Like totally different ball game, totally different like ways of being. And so it was just interesting hearing the different like input, you, you know, from, from people who were in historically black fraternity and sororities watching this happen and their own experiences at that university versus like people who went through it themselves and hated it or loved it. And it's interesting. It's it, So it's fun. It's a, Sometimes there's like some serious undertones. But ultimately, I'm just like, I hope these girls just have fun in college and like have a good time. <laughs> I mean, I'm not Greek or anything, but my husband is. And that's yeah. just, and he's part of Divine Nine. So it was, yeah. it was like my experience was very much like just being around and not really knowing what was going on because it's a lot different in Black it is. It's a whole different ball game. Like, don't say nothing. And so I'm sitting there watching him go through these motions and I have no idea what the hell is going on. Like I'm sitting there watching. Um, like, okay. But then I would see, like, I remember seeing big sis, little sis stuff all mm-hmm. over the, mm-hmm. the chalk and like big old murals and stuff and like little cute. Yeah. But it was very much like out in the open. Yes, that, that's some of the commentary that they're saying, like the difference of putting it all out there versus um, not. 
it's like mm-hmm. a big reveal whenever I remember being in school at UL and seeing folks cross, which is what yeah. like crossing. Mm-hmm. You you're in the dark. Nobody really sees you. You're very low key, and then right. like there's a probate, and then you see all these women or men in this sorority or fraternity, mm-hmm. and it's like this big huge deal. Um, Mm -hmm. and I wonder what, I don't really know much about it, like I said, but Mm -hmm. I think there's like historical things based Mm -hmm. around that. It's always been that way. It's like, Ooh, we, we meet at night and then we pop up Mm -hmm. during the day on the, on the probate. Mm -hmm. There's this big glamorous reveal. Like I could just remember Dijon's and it being a whole thing, like going to driving to UL and seeing him cross. Like it was crazy. And they put in a ton of work and time, whereas with um, traditionally white sororities and fraternities, it's a two, like you recruit for a week and then you're, you, you join, you're, you're then a, um, a new member and then you get initiated a couple months later, whereas my understanding with D9 is like, a, it could be a year long process of you, like, you know, pursuing the one you're interested in, if they accept you, if you go through that process of becoming an initiated member, like it's a whole, it's a way more, from my understanding, at least more um, like long-term, very serious process. Whereas with ours, at least on the sorority and it's a lot more, um, it's serious, but it's also like, it, it, I mean, gosh, it's a week long re- recruitment process. It's not... <laughs> Because I had a I had a homegirl in one of my English classes who went through it. I think she was like Tri Delta or something. And she yeah, went through. It was quick. It was yeah, quick. it's quick. I her just making cookies and stuff and like just yeah. Like, oh yeah, you get gifts. It's great. <laughs> did other stuff in the D nine. It was a lot more like you know they were very their heads were down. It was like I'm yes working toward this and all of that. And that's kind of how it was. For yes. Me. And what's interesting, and I don't know if you would have a thought or an opinion, but on, uh, and some of the TikToks, it's, um, you know, there's, so obviously, at least in, not to be um, putting down Alabama or anything like that, but there's stereotypes there, right? And um, a lot of people are like, oh, they cut that girl because she's mixed, or, you know, oh, I don't see any diversity in this, or, and there's some that there is diversity, probably not a huge number, but there's definitely black members in some of the sororities and all that. And excuse me, they were like, some of the people are saying, well, one, why are you rushing? If you are a person of color, why are you going to these white sororities, traditionally white sororities? So there's kind of like a questioning of why these girls choose to do that. And then I'm like, well, that puts them in a place of having to defend their, themselves. And I don't like that. But then of course there's these, um, you, we don't want to ignore the historic racism that's been in some of these institutions and organizations as well. And, but I also don't like them. Like, I don't like people saying like, why are you joining that? So I'm like, well, if that's what makes them happy, like just let them do it. What do you think? Yeah. It's, whoever whatever floats your boat I think people who may like that may be their friend group you know what I'm saying like they yeah. may be in, in that in that sorority or joining mm-hmm. that sorority and they feel called to be a part of it you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying some of them mm-hmm. there's a lot of blending happening with both ends of the of the deal mm-hmm. like you got mm-hmm. the D9 people like I remember when I was at UL I was amazed mm-hmm. like every line after I graduated or like right before with with the Kappas at my husband's mm-hmm. um, fraternity, there mm-hmm. was a white boy. 
Really? The past few, there has been at least one or two on the line or another race or ethnicity. You know what I'm saying? Like they'll join. Yeah. Like that's so interesting. And it's it's happening where like, and that's interesting to me too, where it's like, this is a historically mm -hmm. black fraternity or sorority. And you'll see a white member or an Asian member or, mm -hmm. and it, it was happening when I was in school. Mm -hmm. I thought that was cool. I'm like, okay, like you feel compelled to be a part of this. And I think that's awesome because truly like, are there, you know, sorority mm -hmm. fraternities for folks that are of different backgrounds that are not mm -hmm. black or white? There are Latina sororities and fraternities. I think they didn't have them at my university. I think that might, I don't know where they would have them, but I could see that in the West Coast. I could see that. Yeah, yeah. For, and, and I think there might be Asian ones as well. I could be mistaken on that. But yeah, I just, uh, maybe, and maybe I'm working from the context of like being a person of color that joined, but I had no idea what this even was. I went into that process truly blind. Like I was like, I'm gonna go because my friends are doing this. And like, it sounds fun. Like I had no idea. Right. And it's different. I think it's, it, it depends on, I think it's okay to join as a person of color, a white, a traditional. As long as you feel safe and protected. Safe if you're being embraced. Um, if you're not being casted out, if there's not any right. stuff going on, or like tokenism, mm -hmm. exactly. I think involvement is important, and I think if there right. are people of color within these spaces, I think it could be a good thing, you know. Like, right. And then on the other end of things, like at UL, I loved that about my school because whenever I would go to the to the stroll offs in the yard, you're gonna see a plethora of different races there. Mm -hmm, there's gonna be mm -hmm. some white folks hitting the um it, throwing bows and and doing their little shimmies and things and i love mm -hmm. it because it's like okay mm -hmm. that's what he want to do let him do it he's having fun that's mm -hmm. his friends he feels culturally connected let him have his fun mm -hmm. i love it and same mm -hmm. for the girls and, and the guys over there joining the traditionally white ones i think it's it that's yeah. what, that's what's supposed to happen yeah, the yeah. is not meant to continue. You know, like yes, maybe there was some racial stuff going on, but so was racial stuff happening in the White House, and we have Kamala Harris up in that thing. So what? What do we? Right. Do? So do we not? Yeah, yeah. It's the case if it was traditionally one way for so long, people are gonna want to join the spaces, and I think mm -hmm. that's okay. Yeah, I hear that's a good, that's a beautiful way of putting it. So it's it's cool hearing all the conversation surrounding it. Um, so yeah, that's what's been feeding my soul over the past few days. Um, what about you? Okay, so I was like, do I talk about this this television show? And I am because authenticity. <laughs> um, there's this show on HBO Max. Now I didn't know anything about this at all. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything about this show. I just got on HBO Max and I was like, oh, let's see what's on HBO Max. What movies are on there? And I'm up late because I drank coffee late. And I'm like, <laughs> why did I do that? Because I was trying to power through some sessions and like do some do some work. And I was like, okay, I'll stay up tonight. And Thursday night, I sat down in my living room and watched F-Boy Island. I watched two and a half episodes, maybe three. Okay. And I was tickled because <laughs> I don't usually watch, like my cousin gets me into the shows, my best mm -hmm. friend here, she gets me into the show. They're like, oh, Love Island. Oh, this, oh, that. Too hot to handle, you know, that kind of thing. And I was like, that's fun or whatever. This show mm -hmm. is based around 
these three women, which I thought was cool. It's not like a bunch of women. It's three women um, in their 20s. And they're there to find love. Mm-hmm. Like, like you know quote quote unquote because I'm still a skeptic with all this I'm like do people really find love on these shows I mean okay maybe they do it's probably like both like bonus if you get love but they want to get some clout that's what mm. money um so these three lovely women are on the show and they're there trying to develop a relationship with someone but the catch is there's 24 men at the start of the show 12 of them are f boys and 12 of them are nice guys we don't know who the nice guys and the f boys are. Yes, yes. But then, as the show progresses, you kind of you kind of make your own inferences. Like, ooh, 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 his clothes. Ooh, 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 the way he talks. Ooh, ooh, he's trying to finagle the system. All of those kinds of things. So then, the end of the show bases around like who they choose. Like they end up with their final three, final two, and they have to choose the guy. They know now at this point, this is what blows me away. They okay. know at this point who the F boys are and who the who the nice guys oh. are. Themselves like mid show. Spoiler alert. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm a spoiler lover, so it's great. That's you. Either way, <laughs> it's still entertaining as I don't know what. Yeah. Um, they have to pick. And typically the nice guy that at the whenever they revealed what the money was for, the nice guy and the girl, if they end up together, she picks the nice guy, they split the money. Hmm. He picks the F boy. The F boy gets all the money, or he can choose to be a reformed nice guy or a reformed. Oh my gosh! So it's kind of on that premise of like, can you change the guy? And like you know, these girls are going to be interested in the F boys because that's how the world works sometimes. Even just looking at the cast, right? Like I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be a woman real quick. I'm gonna be extra, um, just silly. The F boys look amazing. <laughs> amazing. Their hair is nice. They're funny. They're witty. They know exactly what to say. Mm-hmm. You know, like that kind of thing. And then you have the nice guys who they're attractive as well, but they're mm-hmm. not going to be all like trying to steal time. Like that's mm-hmm. another thing about the show that tickles me is the mm-hmm. fact that they're sitting, like one guy will be sitting with a girl and nine times out of 10, an F boy is going to walk up and be like, hey, can I steal you for a minute? She just yes, said- Yes, and the girls are going to be attracted to that. They loved it. It was crazy. Like- Yes, that's going to be the, yeah. I mean, I'll have to look at the show, but I would imagine that like, okay, you would think they would like the nice guys because they're the nice guys, but the F boys are probably more aggressive, more flirty, more um, just have more like of that swagger or whatever. So they're going to be attracted to that. And they're going to hope this guy's going to like them enough to quote unquote change. And it's kind of like a microcosm because isn't that what girls, women who like men are kind of doing? It is. No, that's exactly it. And one of the, the the women on the show, what I like about that too, is there's a lot based around them. Like, it's not just mm-hmm. like, okay, you're trying to figure out what's the deal with these guys. You mm-hmm. kind of see how they play things and they even talk about why they're the way that they are in some instances. Mm-hmm. Like the guys are sharing, you know, I, I have, some of them talk about having attachment issues. Some of them talk about- Yeah, oh, I bet. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's it doesn't go that deep because I think it's only like 10 episodes, maybe eight. I can't remember. Um. But it's it's a lot of different it's those silly little pieces to it like you know I love that they get casted out the f boys have to stay in this little like castaway looking setup I'm talking Tom Hanks castaway setup <laughs> I'm not just eating co- coconuts come on now that would be inhumane yeah 
And then the nice guys, when they get eliminated, they get to go to this big, nice mansion and they're drinking pina coladas and talking and having fun with each other and forming friendships. And it's neat to see. It's this one part that just tickled me too because they had a mansplain. Uh-huh. The guys sat down, the guys that were eliminated, there were three guys left or two guys left for each girl. Okay. The guys come back, all of them, the nice guys and the F boys. And they start telling all the things the guys were saying in the house. They start saying like, well, I bet you didn't know this, that he said this. And he said, he's going to have this many girls in his DMs. And he said this and that. So they're being messy, <laughs> trying to like get the girls to choose the right guy for them. And initially, mm. like even the F boys are clapping for the nice guy mm. that the girls had. So it's like, and it's interesting to see who they choose. Like, it, yes, I really want to watch this now. Like, it sounds a lot because I've heard about it. I've heard a few things about it. And it seems interesting, but I didn't know if I wanted to check it out. But now you're kind of selling it to me. Marcella, you like um, those kinds of shows too. And oh, yeah. It would, it would be very entertaining for you. And even just the different personalities mm -hmm. and the women. Like, I mm -hmm. love Lisa CJ. Okay. Her name CJ. CJ's the brunette with like the freckly look to her. She's just cute as a button. Her little voice is all just strong and she's very sensitive mm -hmm. and at first I was like oh because she was attached to one guy and he was clearly mm -hmm. but then she just bosses up and she's like you know what no I'm about to play this game Ooh, okay I'm gonna pick the right I, I was so glad just with her situation it was and I don't like shows like this like that but I ate this up with a spoon with a big old spoon. <laughs> I'm, I'm like this is so good like the mess the the funny little moments there's this one guy i cannot stand and i want to know if you can peep him out mm -hmm. i i struggled with this gentleman uh-huh like there's always one two of them just just terrible and like insincere like you know when people yeah. their thoughts and there's no look on their like their eyes are just like their affect is just like, I just really love you and I just want to be with you and I just want this and I just want that and you're the best woman I've ever made and you could change me and like and so, oh no <laughs> if you watch the show and you listen he said that I'm like falling for you <laughs> <laughs> wait and well and then do you feel like the nice guys are truly nice guys because they're on the, a TV show you know what I mean no, like some of them you could tell from the beginning, like, and some of them, I think they, they were nice guys with a little touch to them. Yeah. They probably, you know, did their thing. With mm -hmm. before, and then they kind of realized like, okay, I'm slowing down. Like I'm almost 30. Like, right. Um, one of them, like some of them are, they're difficult to tell. Like a, a few of them, I was like, ooh, 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 I don't know. Yeah. But it's, it's and the money component adds a little flair to it. So that's what I'm yeah. Yes, I didn't know there was a money component. This week, if you have not watched and you're into the dating show thing and you just want something to kind of take you out of your comfort zone and to laugh a little bit, watch it. Because I haven't been that invested in a dating show ever. <laughs> well, I will definitely check it out. I'll have to watch some of that tonight. Yeah, it's released, so watch yourself. But yeah, that's all the time that we have. Yes. For the Soul Search Pod, our trauma season. Hi, Kitty. <laughs> love that. That's what I was trying to get him to get up on the bed. Oh, I love a dog. We want a dog. We'll get <laughs> yes, thank you guys for listening. We enjoy. Yes. Um, follow us on the Instagram Soul Search Pod. 
we're also um you can email us too i mean if you want. yes mm-hmm. soulsearch at gmail.com remember search is spelled with just a u which that's yeah. not your traditional spelling so it's pretty easy to remember and we will see you shortly talking yes have a good one bye